0: This message was recorded during a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake, for anyone who doesn't know me, I think I know most everybody here, but uh, just so excited that you guys would come early this morning, excited that you would be here and decide to spend your Sunday morning learning more about evangelism and trying to grow in your personal evangelism. Uh, your desire for the lost, it, it encourages me as well to to want to share Christ with others. So, in the coming weeks, I'm eager to present more opportunities for our church to to grow in evangelism, as well as uh, just to encourage your faith to share Christ with your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members and your friends. So, um, how good it is that the Lord has saved us, and then he has brought us in to be able to share Christ with others. As I've been praying for this class, and I've been praying for our church, these verses uh, I've been meditating on the last couple weeks. It's 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, While I want to help in creating context and training to uh, grow our desire for evangelism, at the end of the day, we don't trust in any of that. We don't trust in training. We don't trust in speech. We don't trust in our wisdom. We trust in the power of God to save people. And so that's why I'm excited about this class is because the Lord is with us this morning. Uh, at the beginning of every class over the next four weeks, we've actually asked someone to share their testimony just to highlight God's work in saving people, but also to encourage you that uh, specific people are in play and in part. God uses specific people to share the gospel with others. And so this week we've asked Suzanne Robinson to come share uh, how her parents shared the gospel with her. And just to encourage your faith that uh, moms and dads, what, what a blessing it is to be able to share Christ uh, with your kids. So, would you guys welcome Suzanne as she comes and shares?
1: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Suzanne Robinson, and in God's great kindness, I grew up in this dear church with parents who loved each other deeply and who loved the Lord even more. My mom and dad were and still are committed disciples of Christ, and I hope my testimony of how they shared the gospel with me encourages you this morning. When I was born, I was the third of four children to come along and mom and dad had their hands full. Though dad worked a very full work week and commuted quite a distance, he devoted his evenings to our family and the life of our church. Mom stayed home with us full time and really sought to utilize the time she had with us to train and teach us. They were sowing seeds of the gospel in so many moments of our everyday life. They prayed for me, they read to me about the Lord, they told me stories about people in our church and in VFC And they modeled for me and my siblings what it meant to love God and to love his church. They would use our conversations together, my worries, my ambitions, my bad attitudes and conflicts, my desires and my longings to apply the truth of the gospel to me. When I would be in trouble for something I did, they wouldn't leave me feeling stuck where I was. They took the time to draw me out or talk to me about what was going on in my heart. And they would point me to my need for a savior and who God is for me in Christ. They would pray with me and for me, and I could always walk away from trouble with forgiveness from them and encouragement for change. They reflected the love of Christ to me. My siblings and I sometimes begrudge the amount of intentional conversations or lectures, as we call them, but even in my rebellion, their love for me and their willingness to work through anything with me kept me coming back to them for advice and help. They shared their lives with me and were transparent about their joys, their fears, and their weaknesses. God was using them to draw my heart to him. What I didn't really see at the time was that they were giving me the word of God that brings life and has power to save me and change me. When I was around 12, I became more aware that my battle to obey my parents and my bad attitudes were like a bad habit that I couldn't escape. I remember getting so frustrated after conflicts with my siblings or my parents because I knew my parents were always right (laughs) and I was always wrong. I was selfish, I was impatient, I didn't want to do my chores, I didn't want to serve others, and I wanted to be perfect in everyone's eyes, but I was beginning to face the reality that I could never measure up. I thought of myself as a very joyful person, but inside I was having a hard time having joy. I now know the Lord was opening my eyes to my broken and sinful heart and my inability to save myself from my sin against a holy God. Before I turned 13, I distinctly remember hearing Bill preaching on Genesis 15. I remember Bill pointing to God's promise to Abram that God himself would be his very sure and great reward, and I left that sermon unable to get that promise off my mind. I wanted to know how God could be my all like that, my greatest reward. Around this time, I also started reading the biography of missionary Jim Elliott, and I could not put it down. In his sovereign mercy, the Lord saved me one night as I was finishing up that biography. All that my parents had labored to teach me from the Bible about who God is, and all that I was hearing from Bill's sermons and Jim Elliot's missionary endeavors, came into a clearer view with one aim in my mind. I wanted to simultaneously repent of my stubborn pride and sin, and I wanted to praise God for dying for my sins on the cross. I was filled with relief and thankfulness. The Lord gave me the gift of faith that night, and I was so filled with joy at the thrill Of knowing God and having a relationship with him I didn't fully understand what would happen after that I just knew but I will never forget how that new joy stuck with me day after day I was still a proud sinful girl but I was freed from the burden of my sin and was so excited that God would be my father and make me more and more like him life was no longer about myself and that brought true freedom and joy I'm so thankful for my parents' example of faithfully sharing the gospel with me as I pray to do the same with my kids. Mom and dad are quick to remind me that I can't save my kids or bring about their salvation, but I do have the honor and privilege of bringing my kids the good news of the one who can save them. He loves to use weak and imperfect people like my parents to help accomplish what none of us could do, bringing our child or coworker or friend from death to life. May God's great love and power and faithfulness motivate us to not lose heart wherever he has called us to sow seeds of the gospel for his glory.
2: Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Suzanne. Very encouraging. Encouraging for all of us parents, uh, especially. So welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. Is everybody awake? I got a little bit of a head start on you, but sorry if you're sleepy. I see a coffee pot in the back. Pretty loose about rules, so if you want to get up and walk back there and get a cu- cup of coffee right now or at any time, uh, please don't hesitate to do that. Really excited about this. We are. Uh, I, I didn't print an outline like a class schedule for you, but it's really super simple and easy to remember. We have a sort of a Trinitarian outline for the four Cornerstone U classes on outreach and evangelism that, that we're doing uh, today. You know, so so thank Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk about the church. OK, so today it'll be the Father's heart for evangelism. And then next week, Jesus commandment That's the Great Commission. You know, Jesus said to go to all the nations and make disciples. That's the umbrella over all these classes. I think that's the name of the class, right, Jake? The Great Commission. And so that's the second week, Jesus' commandment. The third one is the Spirit's work. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who, who calls uh, people to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, which is wonderful. That's why however inept we may feel about witnessing and sharing the gospel and however aware we might be of our own sins and our own failures and our own mess, God can still use you and me to, to share the gospel and, and to be, be drawing someone to to uh, salvation through faith in Christ, it's because the Spirit does the work. So that's the third week. So we got Father's heart, the Son's command, the Spirit's work, and then that last week we'll talk about kind of a vision for the, for the church because we, I, I think we do have this, but we want more and more and an increase, increasing measure. To have a culture of, of outreach and evangelism at Cornerstone. And, and I know I, I do in my own life. Okay, So this is a corporate thing as a church. But I hope that each one of us individually will be more eager uh, to share the good news of Christ with others. So that's where we're going. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the father's heart. That is God's plan for the salvation of the world. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this room full of people. Uh, I thank you, Lord, that they've come in early and sat down. And now we, all of us together, have an opportunity to receive ministry from you through your word and through your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Father, that you would be with us right now, that these would not be wasted moments, but that you would use them to change our hearts and to equip us for the service of ministry, Lord, to this needy world. It's a Big request, really, Lord, because we feel so small and inconsiderable here. But we know, Lord, that you can do great things with the humble. So we humble ourselves before you and ask you to be our helper this morning. In Jesus name. Amen. So starting with the father's heart, God's eternal plan to to save the world. God is the savior of the world. And he always has been. I think there's a a little bit of a common misconception that in the Old Testament, God was focused on one family and one group of people, that is Abraham and then the nation of Israel. And then with the coming of Christ, the advent of Christ in the New Testament, he kind of opened things up to include everybody. And that's understandable because in, in Genesis 12, God zeroes in on Abraham, and then you have the whole story through Genesis and Exodus and and into the kingdom of books of the Old Testament, how God is working on the the people of Israel and and in the the people of Israel. But God's purpose has always been for the salvation of the whole world. And so I've given to you a, a list of verses Many of which are from the old testament that's in the in the handout that you have there, um, and we 're going to have to move pretty quickly here. I've got a watch right in front of me we're committed to finishing at nine forty on the dot okay so so you can just relax you don 't have to worry if we're going to run over we'll be done, uh, but we do have a a lot to to cover, so you've probably heard someone say that. You know, studying the Bible is is like going to the seaside. You can really benefit from and enjoy just playing around in the surf. But you could also sail out and you could dive down to the deepest depths and really enjoy and benefit from that, too. We're going to be in our cornerstone U classes for the next 4 weeks. We're just going to be kicking around in the surf, okay? So there is so much more that could be said about everything that we talk about and I'm happy to talk about it if I put my email on the handout. If you want to shoot me an email, we can get together to talk or talk on the phone. I love to talk about this stuff. So if you leave here feeling like you didn't quite get as much on something as you wanted, let me know and we'll talk about it. We also have, it'd be real easy for this Cornerstone you, because in the bookstore, we've got a shelf on evangelism. And we have 19 titles in there. You can find it. It's right inside the door and 19 books on evangelism and apologetics and outreach so please you know get those if you want to read more about these topics it's all uh, in there ready for you but the father's plan for the salvation of the world is present all throughout scripture and i'm going to i'm going to do something different though than what i have on on the sheet and i I hope I'm following the Spirit's leading and not just doing something crazy that I want to do. But if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to Genesis 15? Because Suzanne mentioned Genesis 15 in her testimony. And I think Genesis 15 is, is going to show us the point that I'm wanting to make about the Father's plan for the salvation of the world being present throughout all of Scripture from the beginning. Now, I did print for you uh, Genesis 3 and verse 15. This is, theologians tell us, the first declaration of the gospel in the Scriptures. And it's right there in Genesis 3. If you've got a, a, an outline in, in like a study Bible that outlines Genesis, it probably says by Genesis 3, the fall of mankind. Because this is when sin enters into the world in Genesis 3. I know we're going to talk about Genesis 15, by the way, so don't, don't worry. But uh, this is when sin enters in, into the world because the man and the woman that God made rebelled against him. And they sinned against him. And so he, he curses them for their disobedience and that's then passed down to every human creature who's ever lived since then you know that's original sin it's mysterious hard to get your brain around but we don't have to worry about it that much because we know in addition to that we pile up our own mountain of sins on top of that original sin right so we're sinners but in the midst of our sin even when it very first appeared in Genesis 3 God says this He's he's speaking to the devil, actually. And he says, Genesis 3, verse 15. This is in your notes. I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. So this is a reference to the seed of the woman who would come one day, a Messiah, a Deliverer, a Savior, who would undo the works of the fall. It's a reference to Jesus Christ. It's right there at the beginning. And as soon as things go wrong. I would suggest even before things went wrong. But as soon as things go wrong. God has a plan of salvation. So the whole, the whole Bible is about this from beginning to end. It doesn't just show up in the middle. So super significant. But Suzanne mentioned Genesis 15. Which is not in your notes. So here I go. After all that time working on those notes. I'm going to talk about something else. All right. Because I like it so much. Genesis 15 verse 1. Here's Abraham whom God had called out. Or Abram. And Abram says to God in a vision. Fear not Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said "O Lord God. What will you give me for I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. That's his steward. It's his servant. And Abram doesn't have a male Heir. So the, the, the servant is going to get everything when Abram dies. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him: This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. He said, Look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. By the way, Paul refers to this in Romans chapter 6. So Abram is saved looking forward to that promised deliverer from Genesis 3.15. He's saved just like we're saved looking back to the deliverer who came, Jesus Christ. So we're all of us, you know, every single creature, every single person that you'll see in heaven, if you were to walk up to them and say, hey, why are you here? They're going to say, because Jesus Christ died for my sins, whether it's an Old Testament patriarch like Abram or one of us sitting in this room it's all the same. Abram believed that's verse six of Genesis 15, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know? Verse 9, He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid them each half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. This is weird. I'll go ahead and say it because you're probably thinking it, some of you. It's weird. So he gets these animals. He whacks them in half. He kind of spreads them around. So this is, uh, students of Bible history tell us, a covenant cutting ceremony. And it was common among people in the ancient world. It's kind of gross. In fact, I read a book one time. In the first century, they were still doing this at Jewish weddings, wouldn't that be romantic? <laughs> you know, you got the bride all dressed and, and you got some you know, blood spread out for her to walk through. And, but actually it wasn't the bride. It was uh, the dads would walk through and uh, they'd walk down. So they'd, they'd kill an animal. They'd have these animals spread around. I know it's nasty to us, but I think for them it was more like a trip to the grocery store, you know, because they were really used to processing uh, animals this way. So, so the, the dads in the first century or kings in ancient times would make agreements the kings might you know use people horrible but the dads in the first century they'd use animals and, and they would slaughter these animals and there'd be blood on the ground and the two people making the agreement together they would, I don't know if they shook hands. I mean, that's what I do, but I live in the 21st century. But you can imagine maybe they're shaking hands and they're walking down through this blood. And what they're saying is, I'm going to keep this promise or this is going to be me, right? I'm going to keep this promise or, or I'm going to be split, killed, blood. You know, this is where we get the, uh, the, the marital vow till death do us part it's beautiful by the way like that's what they're doing they're saying I'm keeping this promise or I'm dead right so that's what's going on here kind of weird but, but this it wasn't weird to Abram right so he cuts these animals he, he spreads them out he knows a covenant ceremony is taking place here he's probably thinking this is great I'm worried about my offspring me and God now we're going to do a deal me and God and so here's here's what happens Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So he's talking about the Exodus, right? So, so four hundred years after Abraham, I want to make sure I get this right. So, yeah, approximately. Then the children of Israel come out of slavery in Egypt. I'm thinking maybe it's 5 or 600 years, but y'all don't care about that. But a long time later, okay, that happened. So, Abraham, he's he's fallen asleep, right? He was ready to do this covenant ceremony with Yahweh, and yet this deep deep sleep falls upon him. He gets this vision about what God is going to do in the future, and then this happens. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. So symbolism there. But the, 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 the pot, the torch, this is representing the, the Lord. OK, and the Lord then comes down and he goes through the pieces on that day. Verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham to your offspring. I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and all uh, all these other people. Now notice what has taken place in this covenant cutting ceremony. There's two people making a covenant together, right? God, Abraham. There's the blood that is spilled. But who goes down the lane between the animals? God goes. What is Abraham doing? He's sleeping over here on the side. So God is telling Abram, and, and he's telling us in the gospel, I'm going to keep this covenant. I am making a covenant of salvation with you, and I'm going to keep it because you can't, because you're a sinner, because you're, you're broken. You've got nothing to bring to the table. So there's no doing a deal with God unless God does the deal for us. So it's all about Grace. So when the scripture says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, he's believing that God God is going to shed blood and God is going to keep his promise and God is going to do for Abram what Abram could never do for himself. You know what that is right there in Genesis 15. And this is why Suzanne mentioned it, I think, in her testimony. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there in Genesis 15 albeit, as the book of Hebrews says, in a shadowy way, right? We live in the fullness of times, praise God. We've got all the detail, but it was always God's plan to save the world. Now, I just got excited about that whole Genesis 15 thing that Suzanne mentioned. So uh, that's not in your notes, I don't think. But you will see in your notes these scriptures, and you can look them all up later, you can read them later later, there's more. i got a footnote there. You can go. Uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, got tons of stuff like this. and They share all these verses from the Old Testament about God's concern for the nations. I- Abraham and Israel, Israel in the Old Testament, is a missionary nation, a light to the world, so that all the nations would come to know God. It's just, just one other thing. You'll see the verse from Mark 11 in there, I think, under Jesus and the Gospels. So Mark drives all the money changers out of the temple, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Jesus does it. And he's angry. And uh, we, we think he's angry because they were selling, like, the temple T-shirts and, you know, wristbands and stuff like that to make money. They were being greedy, you know? and so he drives them out. And he probably didn't like that. But the thing that really upset Jesus was that this selling was taking place place and part of the temple that was reserved for Gentiles. And you notice what Jesus says there. It's in your notes. It's in Mark 11. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for the nations? He's quoting Isaiah 56. So God always had a plan for for the even even in the building of the temple of in Jerusalem. Solomon talks about foreigners praying to God and glorifying God there in that temple. And Jesus is in Jerusalem saying, you guys shouldn't be clogging this up because God wants to bring light and salvation to the nations. So that's the father's plan from the very beginning. And this gets to the father's purpose. So if you want to turn to the New Testament, we can look at Ephesians Ephesians chapter one, I commend the book of Ephesians to you. Of course, the whole Bible's great. <laughs> like every, every book is my favorite book, you know, and every verse is my favorite verse. I got to stop saying stuff like that. But anyway, Ephesians is great. Paul was a pastor in the city of Ephesus for three years. They had a big riot there. Um, and when, when he was on his way to Jerusalem, where he knew he would be imprisoned and face death, he, he called out the Ephesian elders and he prayed with them on his way to Jerusalem. He loved, he loved this church. And in Ephesians 1, we get a great picture of the Father's purpose for salvation. But, but first, there's a quote there from Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He's talking about missions, um, but let's just use missions as a synonym for evangelism because Christian missions my opinion, is evangelism. So notice what he says. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. So there's that one sentence the second third sentence he's got in there missions exists because worship doesn't God wants his his creatures his human creatures and all of creation but especially the crown of his creation people made in his image to worship him and to glorify him. This is the purpose of life. It's the purpose of your life. It's the purpose of every human life. It's the purpose of life for your unbelieving neighbor and relative and and classmate. That is their purpose is to glorify God and and to worship God. It's what they were created for. The whole universe was made for this purpose. So here in Ephesians chapter one and verse three, Paul writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That's amazing. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Note that. I I said a minute ago or a little while ago, Genesis 3, right then God responds to the fall. Well, I, I added, he had a plan even before. Before the foundation of the world, God chose to save us. Hey, that's, that's the ocean, right? And we're just in the surf. So that's the ocean. There it is. That's how great God is. That's how awesome God is. I got a quote by R.C. Sproul there. I won't, I won't read it, but he says, the last sentence, the scripture has no plan B or plan C. God's plan A is from everlasting to everlasting. God has always planned to make a way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 5 of Ephesians 1. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Uh, predestination, there are people who struggle with this. Um, I don't because I was saved alone in my backyard. You know, I, It's just my personal testimony. My parents had shared the gospel with me. But there was no preacher, there was no teacher, there was no parent present in, in that moment calling me to salvation. Jesus spoke to me. And and I, I went into my backyard, an angry, rebellious, reprobate, nasty young man, and I walked back in the back door, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God, God calls people and God saves people. And so predestination might be mysterious to us, you know, like what is our role and... But but the reality is, it should be super motivating to us. God is going to save people. Even those really hard people that you think God could never save them, God can save them and he can do it just like that because he calls people to salvation. Now here's why, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. God is saving people to the praise of his glory. We see it again in verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, when we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. So God's plan from before time began was to save the world. God's purpose in saving the world is so that that we would, would glorify God and honor Him So I've got three points of application there for you. This should motivate us to do outreach for the glory of God. I mean, we, if you want to honor God, there's, there's 10,000 ways to do it, but clearly one of the best ways is to talk about God to somebody, to share the message of salvation with somebody, to, to share the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ with somebody. So we ought to be motivated for God's glory. And we should be motivated by the power of God. God predestines people to salvation. If we got into Ephesians 2, you'd see God calls the dead to life. That's what salvation is. I think it's Piper too who does such a great job saying the best way to understand God, God's role and our role in salvation is to read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and the dead guy comes out. That's what God does when someone is saved. God calls them, and they're, and they're saved. There's power. And so we ought to be motivated by that in reaching out to others and also motivated by the goodness of God. It's good when we live for God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 says that in the coming ages, God is going to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I mean, we could talk about that for 10 years probably. The immeasurable riches of God's grace that we are going to enjoy for eternity, this infinite goodness and, and glory in the presence of God. So, so there's something super good in knowing God and that ought to motivate our outreach as well. So our sins are forgiven when we trust Jesus but something even greater than that is taking place. We're restored to the right relationship with the creator of the universe. We're the people God created us to be. All your personal problems, all the problems you see in your neighbors, all the problems you see if you dare and don't, but if you dared to watch cable news, all of this stuff is is solved in eternity. And God begins that in our hearts when we trust in Jesus Christ. We are offering the most wonderful thing in the world when we share the gospel with, with others. You, you could understate it like this. Knowing Jesus as Savior is a really big deal. When you know Jesus as your Savior, you, you are the person that God has created you created you to be. So that's the Father's purpose for His glory. Last thing. I've got to do this in like 60 seconds. John 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says something incredible. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So we're talking about you now, right? The Father's people. So the Father's plan is to save the world. The Father's purpose is to do it for his glory. The Father's people. This is how God chooses to do this. It's amazing. So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I hope the Holy Spirit is pressing his finger into your heart. God is sending you. 2 Corinthians 5, that verse meant so much to me when I got saved. Any man be in Christ, behold, he is a new creature. God makes us new. But then it goes on to say, you will be my ambassadors. So we are representatives of Jesus Christ. You're walking around this world you're, you're, a, you're a stranger, an alien in a foreign world, but you're, you're part of a key, the kingdom of heaven and you are God's ambassadors calling people to be reconciled to God. That's there in 2 Corinthians 5. And then there's the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Go to all nations and make disciples. God, Jesus is commanding us to do it. Now in Acts 1, I love this, this image. Jesus uh he tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So you're going to go out and do evangelism, Jesus says. And then he ascends into heaven. And the disciples are standing there like they're just watching. He just like went up like that had to be really interesting. Right. So they're just looking up into heaven. And uh, these two men appear. We think they're angels. And they say, why are you just standing there staring into heaven? Why don't you go like Jesus told you? And so here, I, I pray this for myself. And I I, I want to pray it for all of you and for our church. Let's not just stand staring into heaven, but let's go with this good news of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this uh, moment. I thank you for the good attention of everyone in this room. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about outreach and evangelism about the gospel I pray father you would help us to be a people who are known for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost we know father this is the answer to all the problems that we're wringing our hands over all the time in our personal lives and in, and in the life of this whole planet father so we pray you would help us to be faithful to share the good news in Jesus name amen
0: You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone U.